good morning and welcome to According to the Scriptures. My name is Kyle Webb and I serve as the minister for the Mars Hill Church of Christ that meets in Christiana, Tennessee, and we're happy that you joined our program today. We are continuing today our study of why I'm a member of the Church of Christ. And today's lesson is I'm a member of the Church of Christ because it was founded at the scriptural place, Jerusalem. This is the third lesson in our series, um, and I know there were at least the first lesson we broke into two parts, so we're not going as quickly as the book does, uh, but that's okay. We'll take it as it as it comes and, and go from there. Um, I don't know how your day has been, but I know that my day has been kind of crazy. Summers are always crazy anyway, uh, but especially on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I do chapel at Smyrna Christian School. And so I, I just got in from Smyrna Christian School just in time to put everything together to, to be with you. But I am happy to be with you, and I'm happy that you can be with us, and we can, can study God's Word together. Let's bow as we always do in a word of prayer. Our holy and righteous Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for this day. We thank you for our time together. We thank you for the ability to study your word together, to apply it to our understanding. Help us to have a, a better understanding of you and, and who you are and what you would have of our lives. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to live in such a way as to bring glory and honor to your name. We pray that you would be with all those who are sick, those who are suffering throughout the world, and especially those that we know. We pray that you would be with them, that you would care for them, meet whatever needs they may have, and restore a measure of health to them if it be your will. We thank you for your son, for his sacrifice, for our sins, for all that he means to us, that is through Jesus that we humbly pray. Amen. All right, as we begin our lesson for today, uh, again, our lesson today is uh, on the church and how it was founded at the scriptural place. We know from scripture, even going back to the Old Testament, where God intended for his church to begin. And so we see that, that as we get into the New Testament, and especially as we read in the book of Acts, that all these things that were prophesied ahead of time did actually take place. And the church was actually founded in the place that God had said that it should be founded. It was founded in Jerusalem. We find the beginnings of the church in Jerusalem. As we look at the scriptures, if we are going to be the church of the Bible, if we are going to be the church of God, if we are going to be the church of Christ, not as in the name, the church of Christ, but as in description of the church that God intends us to be a part of, the church that was established by his son, Christ, the church that was promised even going back to the Old Testament, if we are going to be that church, 
the church of the Bible, the church of the scriptures, then the church must be founded in the scriptural place. The scriptures have specified that the church was to be founded in Jerusalem. And if we are going to be a part of the church of Christ, the church belonging to Christ, the church promised by him, then it means that that the church that we are a part of must have been established in the scriptural place, and that being Jerusalem. The church was not founded in America. It was not founded in Rome. It was not founded in any place that we might see uh, different denominations beginning. But the church that was established by Christ was promised to be established in Jerusalem. And as we look at scriptures today, we're going to find that that's exactly where the church finds its beginnings. We begin by looking at some passages which point to the establishment of the church. And to do that, we must go back to Old Testament prophecy. And as we look at Old Testament prophecy, we find that the church was to be founded in Jerusalem. We begin with Isaiah chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3. Isaiah 2 verses 2 and 3. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Isaiah 2 verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In Isaiah 2, in verses 2 and 3, we find the establishment of the church was to be in Jerusalem. We also read here that all nations would flow to it, and it would come to pass in the latter days. Notice what it says here in verse 2. The mountain of the Lord's house. As we look at the mountain of the Lord's house, uh, verse 3, to the house of the God of Jacob. As we read of this house, we have a reference that is also given in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. 1 Timothy 3, beginning with verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself 
in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Notice the reference in the New Testament to the house of God. This is a reference to the church. And I don't know that anyone would dispute that. It is clearly a reference to the church. The house of God, which is the church of the living God. This is the same church that we are to be a part of today. It is referred to as the house of God. And where does the house of God have its beginning? Again, we go back to verse 2 of chapter 2 of Isaiah. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. The house of the God of Jacob. The house of God in the New Testament is the church, the living God. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the house of God. The house of God in the New Testament is a reference to the church. And the church was established in the latter days in Jerusalem. There are other references made, such as the one that is made in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It also prophesies of the church, and it's almost a verbatim quote of what is said in Isaiah 2 and verses 2 and 3. But another reference that we have to this house of God is found in Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 16. Zechariah 1 and verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts. And a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Another reference to the house that shall be built in Jerusalem, the house of God, the house of the church, the house of Christ, in a sense also, the house of the Lord. Jesus said that the church's beginning would be in Jerusalem. In Luke 24, verses 44 through 49, Luke 24 and verse 44, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Verse 46 Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, 
and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning where? Beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Following Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, repentance, and remission of sins were to be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. The apostles were told to tarry in Jerusalem, and they did. They were told that the the Holy Spirit would not come until Jesus went away, and he did. We look at John, and especially what is said in chapters 14 through 16. We're going to pick out just a few verses from these chapters. But we begin in John 14 and verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. In John 15 and verses 26 and 27, John 15 and verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. In John 16, verses 7 and 8, John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Spirit was to come. The Comforter was to come. He had not yet come when Jesus was speaking to his apostles. But he was to come. And he was not going to come until after the death of Christ. Now, as we look at at these verses, we see fulfillment of these passages and that the Spirit did come. Uh, Again, he was not to come until Jesus had went away, as we read in John 16 and verse 7. But when Jesus had ascended, that was when the Spirit came, when the Comforter came to the disciples. Acts 1, beginning with verse 9, and reading into chapter 2 and verse 4. We're not going to read all of these verses, but just starting with Acts 1 and verse 9, we read this. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their 
sight. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we see that the Holy Spirit was to come after the ascension of Christ, and he did come after the ascension of Christ. The apostles, we read, were commanded to tarry in Jerusalem. Luke 24, verse 49 tells us this. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 12, we see that they did so. Then they returned to Jerusalem, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. The apostles were to be clothed. They were to be endued, as it also might be translated, with power from on high. Luke 24, also verse 49. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 that we just read, we find that they were. We also read that the word of the Lord was to go forth from Jerusalem in the latter days. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, and also Micah 4, verses 1 and 2 that we mentioned earlier. And we read of this taking place in Acts 2, verses 14 through 42. Peter quoted from the book of Joel. In fact, he quoted from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, proving to the people that this was to be done in the latter days and that that was exactly what was happening. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass In the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And you old men shall dream dreams. In verse 18, And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All of this was to take place in the latter days, and it did. Peter gave reference to the Old Testament when he told the Jews on the day of Pentecost 
that these are the things that are happening, that these are the things that are being fulfilled before your eyes. We see that this had been promised and it was coming to pass. Repentance and remission of sins were to be preached in the Lord's name, beginning at Jerusalem, Luke 24 and verse 47. And in Acts 2, verse 37, verses 37 through 39, we read that these things took place. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The Lord's house, the church, was to be established in Jerusalem in the last days, Isaiah 2, Micah 4, Zechariah 1, 16, passages that we looked at at the beginning of this lesson. And in Acts 2, verses 41 through 47, we see that the church was in fact established. Now in Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter had only told the Jews what they needed to do to be saved. But we also see a little bit further into those verses that they did what Peter told them to do. Acts 2 verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What an amazing uh, event. What an amazing experience. That 3,000 something souls were saved by obedience. By repentance and by baptism for the remission of sins. There are many today that, that say that baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it was here. And if it wasn't necessary, then why would Peter command them to be baptized? And why were they baptized? That many, that would seem an, an inconvenience, wouldn't it? But we read that it happened. 3,000 something souls were saved by the waters of baptism, by their faith, by their obedience, by the grace of God. And in verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, this is a, something that we find contrary to denominations because many teach that, that if you are baptized, you are baptized for the purpose of coming into their congregation, of joining their church. Um, very few denominations teach baptism for the remission of sins. As a matter of fact, I remember a story. Uh, remember, many of you may, well, if you, you go all the way back to the very, very beginnings of this program, it began as gleanings from Gilroy. And it began as a 
uh, a joint effort between myself and Brother Denver Horton. And I remember Brother Denver sharing a story with me that he studied with a, a young lady and and they talked about baptism for the remission of sins. And, and she was positive that she had been baptized for the remission of sins, that, that she'd been baptized in the right way. And it wasn't something that she needed to do. She had been baptized into a denomination, though. And so uh, Denver went as far as to contact the pastor, the preacher of that congregation, the one who had baptized her. And he sent him a letter. And he he said, you know, I've studied with this person. I, I want to know, was she baptized for the remission of sins? And this minister, this denominational preacher, he sent a letter back and said she was not baptized for the remission of sins. And if I'm remembering correctly, she had been baptized into the church, but but he was, was very adamant that he had not baptized her for the remission of her sins because that wasn't necessary, at least in his mind. But as we look at scriptures, as we look at what Peter said, he told the Jews on the day of Pentecost what they needed to do, that they needed to repent and that they needed to be baptized for the remission of their sins. And when they had been obedient, when they had done those things, then they could be saved. We also notice that Whenever someone becomes a member of a denomination, it has to be decided upon most of the time by maybe a minister or a council, uh, maybe even going to the headquarters of that church. But it's decided on by people. But the scriptures tell us that the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If you are going to be saved in the right way, you must be obedient to the plan of salvation. Do what Peter told the Jews to do on the day of Pentecost. And we understand that when we do that, the Lord adds us to his church. Not someone else, but the Lord himself. We're going to continue this lesson, Lord willing, next week as we get into uh, the seed principle, a good, good portion of this study. Uh, We'll spend a little time in that, and I hope that you can be with us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. I hope that I can be with you, and I thank you for joining me today. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to contact us through our website, www.marshillcoc.org, marshillcoc.org. I hope to be with you next week. Until we meet again, may God bless you.